Hello, I'm Emmy Vadness, and I'm delighted to invite you to join me for my intuitive development, How to Trust Your Inner Knowing class. We'll meet for four Saturdays starting October 28th on Zoom Live Video. There's a special discount for new Thinking Aloud volunteers. I'll personally guide you to connect with your heart, enhance decision-making, and empower yourself. Ready to embark on this transformative journey? Visit emmyvadness.com to learn more and reserve your spot. I imagine that by now, many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is evolution to holism. My guest is Carolyn Mace, who is an international speaker and has taught workshops on consciousness, healing, energy medicine, spirituality, mysticism, and the science of medical intuition around the world for 35 years. She has established her own education institute, Carolyn Mace Education Institute, and she refined her abilities as a medical intuitive with the assistance of Harvard-trained neurosurgeon Norman Sheely, who has been a guest on New Thinking Aloud. She is a five-time New York Times best-selling author and author of many books, including Anatomy of the Spirit, The Seven Stages of Power and Healing, Sacred Contracts, Awakening Your Divine Potential, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, Prayer, Guidance, and Grace, Entering the Castle, An Inner Path to God and Your Soul, Archetypes, A Beginner's Guide to Your Inner Net, and Why People Don't Heal and How They Can. Carolyn is based out of the Chicago, Illinois area. Now I'll switch over to the Internet Video. Welcome, Carolyn. It's a great privilege to have you with us on New Thinking Aloud today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Carolyn, you are really world-renowned for your skills as a medical intuitive, and I know we want to talk about holism today. Can we just take a moment to, can you share with our audience a little bit about your background as to how you discovered your gifts as a medical intuitive and how it led you to how you are working with people today? I I was born very intuitive. So, I mean, I just was very comfortable with that. And I'm not one of those people that you hear uh, stories about, and I thought I was crazy. Quite, quite frankly, I always thought, what's the matter with all those people that they don't have an active inner voice? How is it you can even function in this world? I mean, I, I really lived from that point of view that I don't understand how you can function in this world without having a inner rapport. I, I mean, one time 
I was driving home from a, my job in college. I, I worked at Mars Candy Company where they made Snickers. Do you know what a Snickers is? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> and I worked 330 to midnight, and I'm driving home, and I hear this voice that I've always heard, clear as anything, slow down, a red truck's going to run the stop sign. And I just slowed down, and then I see this red truck run the stop sign. And that's when I realized I had been warned. And I drove home laughing and giggling, thinking, you are so cool. You are like everywhere. You're even in my car. You're driving with me. So my entire inner world was always so comfortable with the sacred world. Okay, so that's important. Which means that my sense of self was always based on hearing that over hearing you. Mm -hmm. So I'd never exchanged the authority that people often give to human beings over their life with the authority this had over my life. And I think that's really important. And I didn't even realize that until I was much older and began to think about, you know. So when I was in publishing in the first year there, um, my business partner had casually said, Lisa's not feeling well. And I was editing a, mag a, 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 a manuscript. And I said, she has leukemia. I just knew. And I, and I think it's, it's hard to describe how ordinary the extraordinary can be. But it was ordinary. And it was always ordinary. But what was not ordinary was the support structure that had formed around me organically that I didn't even realize was for the sake of my inner life. So I had moved to New Hampshire in this obscure tiny village of 800 people with no television, nothing, no computers at that time. This was the 80s. So we weren't hooked on Google and we weren't hooked on ourselves. And that's really important. You didn't get up in the morning and the first thing you did was hook yourself into yourself. So that narcissism wasn't there. And I lived on a farm in a remote place. And so in a sense, I entered kind of a monastic 10 years where I poured myself into manuscripts and into reading and into doing medical intuitive readings. And I was not burdened by, are people thinking about me? Are they thinking about me? Are they? How's my career? I didn't even think about that. I did not even think about that. I thought about working with Norm Sheely, who was in Springfield, Missouri, my, my dear, wonderful partner. And so we weren't even together. Like we were set, and he would call and he'd say, I have a patient in my office. And so I'd do a reading. And then I'd go back to work in the publishing company. So it was so ordinary. And I, I think the genius for me was that heaven gave me a genius for something I had no interest in and a passion for something I have no talent for, which was being a fiction author. So I kept thinking, if I do this, I'll be, I can finally write fiction. And, and therein lies the genius of heaven to give you an appetite for something you'll never accomplish while giving you a genius that you have to develop because that's just what the times call for. So, and, and, I had done a background at my graduate work in theology and mysticism and, and um, 
thinking I was the reason was because I, I, I was going I wanted to be a journalist, a writer. And I was incredibly aware that when I finished school, I didn't know how to think. Mm. I didn't know, I didn't know how to think outside myself. I could only think the way I was born. I could only think like a Catholic. I could only think like someone from Chicago. I couldn't stand the locality of my intellect. I had to get out of it. I had to get out. And, and so I thought I could either do theology or philosophy. But I knew I could maneuver in philosophy on my own, but not theology. If you want to go in your soul, because the philosophy takes you in your mind, but theology takes you in your soul. And you need an escort into your soul. You can't get in there alone. You really can't. Because you're going to, if you do philosophy, you're not necessarily going to open up a challenge of your moral code, your ethical code, your, your how you see the nature of God and what that means if you begin to decide this isn't, there is no such thing as an off-planet God that looks like me. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as an earth-based God. This is a cosmic universe. I have to dismantle all the Abrahamic religions. They are myths. So now where do I go? Philosophy, you can't get there with that. I mean, you, you, go, you go with Aristotle and Plato and you did, 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 and, it, and even Aquinas and whatever. But this was a different path. And because of that, it laid the groundwork for my understanding the, the mystical experience, what can happen that is not reasonable and not rational. Philosophy is rational. And so my skill is not rational, which is why you're asking me about it. It's not reasonable, but we've entered into the age of energy. We've entered into the age of energy consciousness. We've entered into the age of the irrational, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, which is why it's happening everywhere. We've entered into our nuclear consciousness where we have to understand that inner space and outer space are our new frontiers and that this is uncharted territory and we are ill-equipped to go into this territory, both through our vocabulary and through our incredibly pedestrian understanding of how our mind works. We lack the imagination and we lack holy language to go into a territory that is, in fact, fundamentally cosmic and not ordinary. In your time of providing medical intuitive readings, something must have happened in you where you wanted to do what you're doing now here in this interview beautifully to teach and uh, help people have assistance into their soul. How did that develop for you? It was a long trek, but um, when I started, I started out by um, in a model or a paradigm that was so inadequate, but I didn't know it. And in that paradigm where I began, it was that uh, neg this is what people believed in the 80s. Negativity caused illness. 
there was an off-planet God that if they could find the cause for the illness, then like a good father figure, they'd be rewarded with health and not just health, happiness and whatever else comes with it. And that there was just one cause because the paradigm people exist within is duality. So I must have done something wrong and I figure out something right will happen. Left, right, east, west, male, female, but, but. So simple. So for every one problem, there's one solution. Eventually I realized, and, and, and that here we have this model of holism, body, mind, spirit, etc., which is fundamentally introducing the hologram, this idea of oneness, which is an entirely different paradigm. But people insist on thinking in duality. I have to be right, you're wrong. I have to be up, left, debt, debt, body, soul. And they never could figure out the role of the the of conscious of what it meant to be conscious. They took the word conscience out. And they thought, here, consciousness, that's much better. Let's just recycle. I'm very conscious. Look, I recycle. <laughs> As I was doing readings, the more I understood, the more I realized, wait a minute. People don't really want to be well. They really don't. There's a strong saboteur in people. They know what they should do for their health or for their own behavior. They know they're choosing to be negative. And all the teachings now about don't be judgmental, don't this, they're choosing every single thing to put them on a path of suffering when they don't have to be on that path. Pain happens. We're going to lose people. We're going to have accidents. Things are going to happen. But suffering is elective. That's elective. And the more conscious we were becoming, the more we're choosing suffering. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm. And that's and and all this teaching about empowerment and 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 self-empowerment, taking the word self from selfish to self-empowerment, self-development, self. And I realized that um the idea of becoming empowered, becoming conscious, was the most intimidating thing for people in the world. Because what it really did, what it really was, was the journey of confronting truth, was seeing clearly, was holding someone not responsible, they love that word, but it's accountable, was invest, and here comes the mystical journey. People love the word energy, but it has no power and it couldn't heal. I started to investigate. I wonder why people don't heal. I wrote a book on it. Why people don't heal. And I realized that the idea of being weak and using that weakness, being wounded and using it, punishing others for why things you don't get something in your life, being unforgiving and there in the power of forgiveness thinking you're owed something because something happened to you. That whole level of life that people live on, that whole floor of life, that I'm owed something. You know, the 9-11, a building collapses and people get paid for it. The survivors get paid. The way we work, 
boggles my mind. All these commercials, you had a bad thing happen, call me, I'll sue them. The litigiousness in our nature while thinking, and aren't we forgiving? The idea that we are owed something because something bad, as we have no understanding of the nature of life, we're owed nothing. We're owed nothing. Things happen. We have this idea that nothing bad should happen to us. And when they do, we get to punish everybody. Our whole legal system, I'm going to make you sign a contract this big to guarantee the outcome I, I want. And if I don't, I'm going to get you for it. Why do you think doctors can't stand their practice anymore and insurance companies? So why don't I do readings anymore? Because I don't want to deal with this mentality that says there must be one thing that broke down my body when it's the whole consciousness of the person and your inability to go into yourself and recognize that every attitude you have, every thought form you have, your expectations, your narcissism is toxic as hell. Mm. Yeah. And so you took what you learned from those experiences and wrote many wonderful books and have been educating people about how they can heal or they can live in more grace and harmony. Mm -hmm. I hope. I mean, I really do think that the more people realize that the journey of life really comes down to you confronting your love of power in the physical world, mm. knowing that that journey, your love of power will inevitably be the path of suffering to recognizing you're here for the power of love mm. and making that transition, which requires a crucifixion. You will have to confront that part of you that can't even bear to empower another person. And why is that? And that's where you confront your jealousy, your envy, your fear of not having enough. And that's what makes us a predatorial species. That's why the, the, the planet's in such a hellhole. But if we got through that, we would realize that we're the ones that are co-creating this. And we could co-create abundance as easily as we are co-creating a lack. Yeah. Well said, of course. And in your book, Anatomy of the Spirit, when you describe the chakras, you talk about how they are areas of power. Can you elaborate a little bit on the power of love and how that relates to our own energetic systems and our own consciousness? First of all, when I, I don't have a romantic under definition of love. Let's be really, really clear here. Mm -hmm. I think love is the name that we have given to identify what God feels like to us within our visceral human experience, which is why we never have to take a course on how to hate, do we? <laughs> do we? No, good how to be selfish or how to be mean or how to hold back love. Why is that? Why? Why? Because we know how powerful this stuff is. We know it. And so we're very judicious with this power because we know this stuff is the stuff that makes life grow. 
This is the power of life. I have to be really careful with it. Mm-hmm. I have to watch me turn it on and off with people and watch them crumble in front of me when I turn it off. Watch me do that. Mm. Hmm. That's the power. Why? Because it is the God force. It is the God force. So we're incredibly selfish with it until we finally get through our own horrible shadow and realize what is wrong with me that when you die you're going to be shown what could have been if you had let it just flow through you all the people that could have benefited by knowing you if you'd opened your heart if you had in in you look back and you think of all the times you're with somebody and your higher self says will you just say this to them you just reach out, go ahead, touch their hand, be kind, let the love flow. And how often you've said no. That's the path of suffering. You've chosen to withhold grace. And instead, it's like, if you think about what the grace of understanding is, the word understanding, if, if the ordinary mortals will say, you just better understand me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you? Do you? But the grace of understanding takes that and says, God, grant me the capacity to understand why I'm with this person. What is it in me you want me to give them? You change from a taker to a giver. And you realize that that people stop intimidating you. You stop thinking everybody's out to get you. And and you just live from a different place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why do you think there's so much fear in people to not allow that power of love to flow in them and through them out to others? Why is it in you? Why do I have love in me? Why do you have the fear of it, of letting it flow? What's your fear? I often let love flow. What's your fear? Yeah. I think sometimes... People, myself included, might be afraid that it won't be received. Hands off. You let the gift go. All right. So it's the fear of rejection. Yeah. You're being humiliated. Yeah. That's where I I go back to my work with Teresa of Avila. And she talks about the seven mansions of the soul. And the first, and, and, and honestly... When I look at what causes suffering, the path of suffering in life, the path that turns someone into becoming vengeful, um, resentful, depressed, the great fear is the fear of being humiliated, not the fear of being um, rejected or alone, because that, that, that comes later. The mm-hmm. first is, I will be humiliated. Mm-hmm. I will be humiliated. And, and it is that fear. And that's the difference. And what, what's so critical, as I say to people in the workshop, this is why you have to understand the difference between what is involved in humiliation, which is pride and the need for approval versus being humble. Yeah. Which is, I have no need for your approval. None whatsoever. And it's so interesting when I was writing and, and my wondrous time during the Teresa of Avila time of my life. 
is when I really absorbed what it was, the difference between humiliation and humbleness. And if you look up the word humble, it says poor, poor. Hmm. Look at that poor, humble person, poverty. When in fact, blessed are the humble, right? It, it, it means I don't want anything of this earth as a way of knowing that I'm, as a way of having reverence for myself. I don't require jewels. I don't require diamonds. I don't require your approval. I And if you told me, clean the bathroom or clean the kitchen, I'm not going to look at you and say, oh, I don't clean that room. I, 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 I don't give my power to this. I don't give my power to this. So it matters not to me. What do you want me to do? It doesn't, you are, you become so free. So, and, and now you pray. And now you pray. And here's the difference between the fear of being humiliated and being humble. In prayer, you say, help me out here. I mean, I need some badass grace. Help me out. I need, I need instruction. When you are paralyzed by the fear of being humiliated, you are even afraid God will humiliate you. And what if you ask me to do something that costs me money and so you scream, you are as intuitive as a rock because it's just pride. Just don't embarrass me and just, hmm. what do you think the non-physical, the non-physical, the cosmic, the holy world, the sacred world has no limitations except the ones your pride puts on them, your fear, your nonsense. Where in this world, I give you Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Avila, Rumi, they had absolutely no limitations and they said, I need something to happen here, do something. And it happened. They were not bound by <clears throat> the laws that said, don't embarrass me. Don't embarrass me. Which is why miracles float all the time. The laws of nature just cooperated with them. And what was the teachings of Jesus and Buddha all the time? This physical world is an illusion. You don't get it. You're the one generating what's going on there. That's why did Jesus walk on? He always did things that boggled the eye. And he said, I'm not doing this to razzle-dazzle you. I'm showing you. You're the one in charge of this. You are. Buddha would say, stop it. I'm a finger pointing to the moon. But this world is a dance in front of you. A dance. It's in motion. It's taking orders from you. I said, why don't people get this? Mm -hmm. Jesus, why don't they get it? Well, like you said earlier, there's a certain amount of responsibility that maybe people have, uh, maybe even a fear of responsibility. And when you were asking me those, and in those intense, beautiful questions, uh, for me, I realized that there's also a sense of vulnerability that people can feel around, um, perhaps, like you say, being rejected. You're responsible for what? Uh, what? For the responsibility for themselves and their own consciousness. Yeah. And you're saying why? What's yeah. that got to do with love? Yeah. Very valid point. I, I think that it is, that's why I wanted to talk with you is because I wanted to help with you have people realize that there is a lot of infinite potential in all of us and there is a lot of love and joy that we can be with. Here's what I would counsel people. You can't be foolish. 
this is why I love the grace of discernment so much. Yeah. And that's that love is a profound power because it is, it transforms. It transforms. But you don't walk down the street hugging strangers. Okay. <laughs> this is not what love calls for. But if you really understood how powerful prayer was, or you understood that, you'd realize that when you walk down and you see someone in need, it's obvious you cannot go there and say, let me rebuild your whole life because let me show you how much I, I, I should love you. I do love you. Let me buy you a home. You can't do that. But what you can do is say a prayer for them. You can not judge them. You can give them grace if you can. It, you can just constantly generate grace. Mm -hmm. Constantly generate grace. The least you can do is withhold judgment. The most you can do is generate grace. Mm -hmm. I, I love this story when I wrote Invisible Acts of Power. This homeless person's on a corner, on a street, and she spots a homeless person. <laughs> Hmm. And and in that moment, she forgot she was homeless and she prayed for that person. She said, oh, God, help that person. Not realizing she was in the same state. She said, help that person. Shortly after that prayer, within 30 minutes, this man walks up to her and says, can I help you? And gave her a job. Wow. Gave her a job. And again and again and again, the stories are all, <laughs> this is how angels work. This is how heaven works. She put someone else before her. And it's just, that's the, that's the power of love. Yeah. That's, that's the angel saying that did it. She passed. And I will take care of you. Because how heaven works is that, heaven will not do for you what you can do for yourself. That's our task. Heaven's not going to clean my house. You know, <laughs> I won't, I won't watch the vacuum cleaner move around. Right. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. They're not going to do my laundry. They're not going to do any of that. Heaven will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But the things that we cannot do, when we reach our limits, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know how to help this person. You've put me here. I need to talk to this person. You have got to help me help them because I've run out of resources. And so I'm turning it over to you. And if you think of anything, let me know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I oftentimes say to heaven, I've done everything I can today. You take the night shift. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. With your abilities as being an intuitive, how has that enhanced your relationships? I would imagine that you frequently know the right things to say at the right times, or how has it enhanced your own personal life? No, kindness is what works in relationships. Mm -hmm. Patience, kindness, mm -hmm. um, my cooking skills, um, humor. Mm -hmm. These are the things, sensitivity. That's what everybody has. Everybody has that. You know when a friend's not needs to talk and you keep your mouth shut and you listen. You don't cut them off when they're talking. 
You become, you go into the role of the holy witness. They need someone to witness what they've been through. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you keep the trust of a friend when they say, can I keep, keep my confidence? You know what that means. You put it in your heart and you lock it in the vault. I mean, you, you know what it is to be a good friend. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with intuition. That, that has to do with being loving. Right. Do you think there's a relationship between love and intuition? No. I think there's a relationship between love, shame, embarrassment, um, inner agendas. If you, if you are deceitful, if you're a liar, if you're deceitful, your inner instincts are going to get completely twisted. Mm-hmm. What makes you good with people is that you there's nothing you don't want to hear. I, you don't. I don't have to screen anything. What have I got to screen? Mm-hmm. If I keep myself clean, what do I have to screen? I'm not afraid you're going to mention something that will remind me I owe you five dollars. You know, I, I, I. Do you understand? I, if you keep yourself congruent and clean. What would block your intuition? If you have respect for yourself, what intuition is not a gift. It thrives in self-respect, in self-esteem, and in faith. Yeah. And first of all, faith in yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's why I wanted to ask you because it seems that everything you just mentioned, being kind and full of grace and being willing to witness others can enhance everyone's lives and lead toward that greater path of holism, that awareness of it, so that we can, you know, enjoy ourselves and others more. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. I mean, you have to keep yourself. It's like what one thing I know is true. We are living in a collective dark night of the soul and a collective faith crisis through all the years I've been teaching and no matter what country, it's far easier for people to tell me what they don't have faith in. And usually with a chip on their shoulder than what they do have faith in mm. their five, the five it's, it's so extraordinary to me as we've gone into this age of, of energy as a, into the sacred age. No, that's exactly where people have withdrawn and given their five senses all the more authority, their desire to live forever, keep their bodies youthful, never talk about dying, um, make their bodies live forever, vitamins, this, that, anything that keeps their physicalness far more upfront than anything in their, in their, in their soul. No one, no one talks to me ever about what goes on after I die. What goes on? Am I held accountable for anything? No one, not one person in my 40 years as a teacher has asked me that. Mm-hmm. Not one person. Hmm. Because there is no interest in the afterlife. It's only this life. How can I live longer, 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 longer? And then what's extraordinary to me is ask someone their age, oh, don't ask me. Oh my God, what if I look my age? This 
unbelievably paradoxical, hostile relationship we have toward what we look like and enforcing our bodies to look young, Botox, facelifts, anything, exercise, just don't age. Just don't age. And the hostility of this while thinking we're in the age of consciousness, we have never been more unconscious. Mm. We have no idea what we're doing. And then to think that intuition, it's, don't you get it? That if you're congruent, I do. What that means is your wiring simply works and you have no fear of what's going on inside of yourself. Intuition's the result of really having self-respect and, and faith. And, and what I tell people is it's impossible for you to have faith in a God that you can't even see, that, you, that you've decided you just maybe believe in, maybe you don't, when you don't even have faith in yourself. And when you don't have faith in yourself, you have, I can tell you right now, you have lousy relationships. I know it for a fact. Because you're going to be insecure and always saying to the person, did you mean this? Will you call me? When you don't have, you don't even know what faith is and the strength of faith and trust. So you have to start by building faith in yourself. And it starts out small. You, 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 you can't be a liar. You cannot be a liar. You can't have faith and be a liar. It's not possible. It's like saying you drink and you, and, and, and you are a member of AA. You cannot. You have to say to yourself, um, all right, I'm going to start this track of honesty, faith, and trust. I'm going to walk 10 minutes a day because that's what my gut and my health is telling me to do. Move, exercise, move this body of yours. Get your ass off the couch and walk. And stop, look at people. They have to schedule it. It used to just be called walking. Now it's exercise and they need certain clothes and they have to have their latte. And, and instead of just walking, right? But you, when you make that agreement with yourself, you have to keep your word. So you actually begin to realize a word is power. Every word you say is power. You give your word to yourself, you start there. And you start to build faith because you gave your word to yourself. And eventually, as you begin to build a reservoir of respect for yourself, you realize if I give my word to you, I also have to keep that because it means something. And that's how you start building faith. In the word holism, there is the word whole. Uh, It's connected to holy healing. Why do you think us entering into an era of holism is so important now? Well, I, I think it's cosmically scheduled, the age of Aquarius or whatever, so we could go that route. But I also think it's because it's the template of the nature of life, all things breathe together. It's a bio-spiritual ecological theology. That's where we're heading, into this era of our life breathing together which is really beautiful. And it's the way it should be. All life should breathe together. And we, our our technology is getting us there. Our catastrophes are getting us there. We can't get out of our catastrophes without realizing we 
climate change, pandemics, um, the refugee crises. We are all in this together. The, the water crises we're going to have, the weather crises we're having, the collective disasters. And now if we have a nuclear crisis, hmm. you know, so we, we've got to stop thinking we're isolated. It's like this, it's like having a conversation with an organ in your body that says, I'm sorry, I'm running the body. If one of your kidneys or your heart said, I'm sorry, this is my body. So your, your body's your micro earth. And, and, and you, you would say, wait a minute, I'm going to have a talk with this. I'm sorry, but you have to get along with all the other organs. They're relying on your cooperation. So our micro earth and our body with all its cell tissue and it's and all of its constant holistic interaction is required in one rogue cell going cancer on you will bring down the system. So this idea that what can one person do? What can one cell do? It can kill you. It can kill you. Yeah. What can one rogue human do? A lot of damage. And we're seeing that happening. Yeah. That's right. And and our our planet's being held hostage by a handful of rogue monsters. Well, and people can feel powerless in that situation. How can they feel that they they are a cell that can help the other cells? You know, so much of it has to do with I think people be have become complacent and apathetic, thinking the bad things can't happen. Why do you think these disasters happen? Now in Hawaii, in, 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 Maui, in Maui, what are they saying? Oh, they knew like that everything was inadequate. If you, I read disasters, I read books on disasters. I'm just finishing the Johnstown flood that happened at the end of uh, the uh, 19th, end of the 20th, 19th century. And it wiped out 3,000 people in Pennsylvania and because of a flood. And again and again and again, not unlike Katrina and, and New Orleans, all the time there were warnings. All the time you, there were things you could do to prevent knowing there's climate change, knowing the bridges need repair, knowing the water systems are inadequate. Act on it, knowing, knowing, knowing that the, 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 the lake needed support systems, the levees needed support systems, the bridges, the dams, but we don't do it. Why? Because we think, that'll never happen, not to us. Never happen. Uh-uh. No. Mm -mm. Why? Because we're rich and white, middle class and white. Who knows what? how we think. But we always think it won't happen. Well, we don't want to do it. We'll push the can down the road. I don't want to put money into that. No, 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 no. We tell ourselves this myth. Oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. We do it all the time. And shame on us. And now we're doing it with climate change. We're doing it with climate change. Oh, it won't be that bad. Uh, Matt, we'll just say it doesn't work because we want, we don't want to mess up the economy because it's an oil based economy, oil dollar economy. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, we can't change that. Mm, fine. And, and people actually think we won't use nuclear weapons. Are they brain dead? Are they brain dead? They can't wait to use nuclear weapons. They're just trying to figure out how. Are you kidding me? 
These are boys with toys. And you don't think, you don't create, we're the only species that creates its own destruction and say, look what we've done and celebrates it. Celebrates it. And not just celebrates, it keeps it up. Let's make more. Let's make some for missile silos and submarines. And we can't wait to destroy ourselves. And not only that, the people that are rich then say, well, you know, we'll just move off planet. Let's just go. We'll just go to Mars. We'll go to the moon. We'll have space shuttles. We'll go underground. I know. Let's buy missile silos and go underground and make them so we can survive. Survivalists, look at how we think. We are so brain damaged. And and people just go about it like it's not going to happen. They go into an altered state instead of a state at the altar. Yeah, I hear you. They always wait for the disaster. I have history to prove it. And now Maui, Katrina, one one disaster. Why? Because it can't really happen. And then what do people say? I can't believe this happened. All the warnings. And then what do they do? They decide to punish people. Where are the people who should have repaired this? Where are they? Let's hang them. That'll make us feel better. Let's go get them. Let's go sue the electric company. Let's go sue this person. Let's sue yourselves. Why didn't you as a community demand that stages be taken care of? Pull yourselves together because you don't know how to be a community because you don't know how to be a communal force because you don't. Oh, I don't want to be humiliated if I start bringing this up. Well, fine. Yeah, good. Lost your homes. Well, and that's where people can start to feel hopeless. So how can we have hope when we are in this dark night of the soul? Action breeds hope. Yeah. Either you have the courage to be, it doesn't come, it's not going to be shipped to you. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you earn it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to just like, well, I think I'll deliver you a box of hope. <laughs> you right. have to earn it. You have to realize this is what I need to do because if I do this, I hope for this outcome and I will make it happen. And then the grace starts pouring in. I told you, heaven will not change anything unless you put yourself in motion. Right. So it's uh, aligning with the divine or connecting with that frequency that can allow us to realize our interconnectedness in a loving way. I would just say, you have to realize that heaven is all about verbs. You've got to, you're here to do, mm. to be, to see something and realize this isn't right. And then you have a choice. Life is choice and consequence, action and reaction. That's the laws of creation. You're here to respond. And here's your choice. Either you're of service or you're not. Either you get off your ass and decide this world community, no matter how big it is, whether it's uh, Maui or my town, if I see something that I know is not okay, it's my responsibility because I see it to take action. It's as simple as that. Action. And, and, and one, put yourself in motion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then to, then keep a prayer in your heart, like help me do this right. Send me the help I need. This is how you hope starts. I hope I can change this. Send me the help I need. Always to the benefit of others. Always. 
it seems that then the collective consciousness responds to our desire for others. Yes, 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 a million times. Yes. It's baked into the, to who we are in the process. Because we're all wired together. And, and, you, and you can't see that wiring, but imagine that you're connected to an internet like the internet. And when you, when you have a thought of how to help others, it goes out through the internet, which is how synchronicity and coincidence happen. I just happened to, and then I met this person, and then this, and then it's an internet response. It's an internet. And, and that's, how, that's how we will change things. Use the internet. Well, I am grateful that I can use my internet and the internet to connect with you today, Carolyn. You've given us so much to ponder and a lot of great inspiration for all of us. Is there anything else you want to share about the evolution to holism today? Well, you know, I think that what I tell people in my workshops, and it's, I think it's really powerful, is whenever you're you need to make a choice, a decision. I don't care what it is, even in terms of how you talk to someone. Ask, use it like a filter. Is what I'm about to say, will, will what I say help make this moment more whole or will it splinter? Will, I, I, and, and how you talk to yourself. Am I splintering myself? Or, I'm, or am I bringing myself more into the whole? Mm -hmm. And if your thoughts are splintering, then they are what Teresa would call a reptile. And you've got to get the reptile out of you. And you have to find a thought that brings you into holism. Even if that thought is, I can't find a thought that brings me into holism, I then go to prayer and say, just give me some grace. Get me out of this. Even that will bring you to holism. Get me out of this. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm, I'm in despair, but don't stay in despair. Mm -hmm. Don't. Don't ever tell yourself there's nothing you can do. Do not ever give yourself that bit of dark propaganda because it's simply, don't ever discount the power you have. Beautiful. Yeah. You recently wrote a book all about prayer. How has that impacted yourself and the people you have taught over the years? I have. I wrote intimate conversations with the divine. And I shared the way I pray because I simply talk to God. Yeah. I simply talk to God. And I, I, I have people that have said, I just pick it up and I open up a page and I just read from it because it helps me because I think I, I've had people say, do you have any prayers that work? I mean, Jesus. But they don't get, they don't get, and it's really the truth that honestly, all, if the, the nature of God is light, love, and law. That's it. Light, love, law. There are no boundaries. There is no off-planet human being that's bigger than us times 100. It's light, love, and law, which is 
everywhere, which means we're sitting in light, love, and law. This is it. We're breathing it, which means this, this all of creation is some level of light. Love. This, this, my desk used to be a tree. It's still, it's still light, love, and law. This is its solid form, like, like a ice cube. But if you melt an ice cube, it evaporates into air. But it's still all the same substance. And we lose perspective in the physical world because you think this is not light, but it is. And physicists will tell you it's atoms and molecules maneuvering, but we can't see that. And we are constantly thrown off by believing what we see. But in fact, the mystical journey is all about really making the invisible visible and making the visible invisible, isn't it? Very beautiful. Carolyn, it's a true joy and honor to speak with you today. And I I know we're going to have more conversations. Thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today and helping all of us. Oh, my pleasure. And, and honestly, my, I have a lot of free workshops on my website. You may want to um, include that if you would. I'd appreciate that. And I just decided to take a group of students to Assisi, Italy next May. So that's going to be fun, too. Wonderful. I love mystical excursions. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Great. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. You are the reason that we are here. We have now released Issue 3 of the New Thinking Aloud magazine. Download it for free at newthinkingaloud.org.